of 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Soul to Soul on your radio. Erev Shabbos Kodesh Parshas Behar Bechukai Satov Shin Pei Gimel. A very warm welcome to you back. Baruch Hashem B'Siyata Deshmai. With the help of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, we've survived another week and we're able to face another beautiful Shabbos Kodesh Habolein Latoiva. It's such a privilege. It's such a schus to spend time with you, to be with you, and hopefully. For all of us to be a little bit uplifted, a little bit raised, a little bit in a, in a better position to be Makabal Shabbos, to enter into Shabbos with a, with a brain, with a fire, with a desire to use Shabbos as the opportunity to grow. And of course we have some beautiful Pashas this week. And the most famous line in this week's Pasha is, Im if you will literally go in my chukim, which Rashi says means that you have to learn Torah, the obligation of learning Torah. But there's a beautiful, beautiful Balaturim. And the Balaturim says, if you take the words, Im b'chukosai telechu, so if, if you take the first letter of each of those words, Aleph of the Im, Beis of Bechu Kosai, and Taf, of Telechu, it spells the word of voice, and it's teaching us, now what does it mean, Bechu Kosai Telechu, that you will follow the ways of our fathers, that, that a person will continue in the traditions of that Kaisal have been doing for years. And perhaps we can get a bit of a clarity on what the, the uh, Baratunam is saying, if we uh, study for a moment the words of Ramea Paramashlimin on on what Rashi says, there's a posuk in Pashas Vaera. It says Vaera Avram El Yitzchok Yankov. Says I appear. Hakadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe Rabbeinu, I appear to Avram, Yitzchok, and Yaakov. And Rashi says Vaera El Avos. I appear to the Avos. And obviously, <laughs> that needs some elucidation. What is Rashi adding? Of course we know who the others are. We know Avam, Yitzhak, Yaakov are the others. What is he adding by saying, I appear to the others? So when it says who they were. So he explains. Because the, the, the custom of the world is, if someone had a father, and he married to that father was a, was a great chassid, or, or, or a great tzaddik. So therefore, the son doesn't have to make such an effort to to attain perfection, bring greatness by himself. He can sort of ride on his father's coattails and 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 rely on on the merit of of his father. And certainly, if someone's father was an outstanding, holy, holy person, who certainly. He doesn't have to do anything. He can really, really, you know, he's starting off on such a high plane, on such a, a level of perfection. So all he has to do is sort of go neutral. All he has to do is, uh, is, uh, kind of make sure he doesn't fall, but he doesn't have to make too much of an effort. He's the sky on of, of, of a holy, holy person. However, our other sacrifice, our holy others did not do that. Yitzchak was not great simply because he was the son of of, uh, of Avram, and Yaakov also did not rely on 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 the on the greatness of his father Yitzchak in order for him to become great, right? That was only for them a, a, an incentive that that they should grow even more and more and become on their own right, become kedusha elyon, become holy holy people. In, in other words, each one of them was more interested that they themselves should become a voice rather than just being anaklot, rather than just being the disguise to, to great, to great, uh, to great people. And that's what it says. Each one of them was, was an av. Each one of them did not rely on what had come before him, but 
but wanted to to be great himself. And that's what we can explain. Is the Rosh Tevas always because don't just rely and sort of hang your hat on 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 your great uh, forefathers, but it's a comment upon you that you must be uh, of us and great and great people. This is 11.9 Chaya FM. The program is Soul to Soul. We're just beginning. Please stay with us. There's much, much more to come. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 Chaya FM. 101.9 FM, this is Soul to Soul. Back on your radio, Erev Shabbos, Kedish, Parashas, Bahar, and Bechukai Saitov, Shin, Pei, Gimel, as you prepare for another amazing, amazing Shabbos. And on this Shabbos, Kedish, we're going to read the double parashas of Bahar and Bechukai So let's try, perhaps. We can't manage to discuss two parashas in one week. So let's talk about the opening psukim of Parshas B'chukaisai. And here we find the most wonderful brachas that HaKadosh Baruch Hu promises to those who devote themselves to the study of Torah. And it starts off, the B'chukaisai Telechu, sorry, B'chukaisai Telechu, that if you will follow my my uh, statutes, and you observe my mitzvahs and perform them. Then I'll give you rain in its correct time. The and the, the land will yield its produce, the eight period, and the fruits of the trees will give abundant fruit. And the vintage will last until it's time to uh, 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 sow. And, and the threshing will overtake the, the vintage. All the way around. Um, and you'll eat your bread and be satisfied. And you'll lie down with none to, to frighten you. So Rashi comments based on the Torah's kingdom, what does it mean if you will follow my decrees? So he says, one might think that this is a reference to the fulfillment of mitzvahs. Right? But then right afterwards it says, you observe my mitzvahs. So, but that's already stated in the Pasuk. So what then is meant by the phrase, if you will follow my, my, uh, my decrees? Says Rashi, Shetiu Amelim Betera, that you should occupy yourselves in, in the labor of, of Torah and observe my mitzvahs signifies that you should labor in the study of Torah in order to observe and fulfill that which you learn. Now, Rashi adds on and he comments on the words, I'll provide your rains in their time. What is that? He says, at times when it is not customary for people to go out, such as on Lel Shabbos, on Friday night, people, people stay home. Now, what we want to try to do is try to find a sort of a common thread that connects these three things mentioned in the opening Sukkim. Number one, those who devote themselves to the study of Torah, to the bracha of rainfall on Shabbos nights that supply the world with abundant, abundant food. And number three, the, the shalom, the peace that's going to prevail in the, in the, uh, in the world. So perhaps we can start by, by discussing a, a kind of a very fascinating passage in, in the Gemara. It describes the intriguing relationship between the Torah and, and the Chachamim who learn it and those who are located in Golis, in Bovel, and the Torah scholars in Eretz Yisrael. And here's what we learn in the Gemara in, in Ksubis on Daf, uh, Kuf Vav, Amar Aleph, 106, a. The Gemara says that we'll just, Rav Huna right, would lecture with the help 
of 13 translators. And let's just explain. Rav Hanina was the Rosh Hashiva in Bavel. He had thousands of students. But due to this large number of students, so of course his shiurim were transmitted via 13 assistants, right, who divided up the students into smaller groups and then taught in sort of the local, the local language. Right? And our Chazal says as, as follows, they say an amazing, amazing, amazing thing. It says, during this year, the students would spread their garments out on the ground and sit on them. After Rav Huna concluded this year, they would rise from their places and shake off the dust that had accumulated on their garments. The dust would rise to the heavens and obscure the light of the sun. The effect was so profound that even the residents of Eretz Yisrael recognized what was happening. Right? This prompted them to announce, oh, the students from Avhunah's Yeshiva in Babel are standing up now. Right? What a fascinating Gemara. So in the, the Ben Yoyoda, so the Ben Yishchai, uh, uh, says as, as follows, he tries to, uh, the Ben Shai basically comments on many of the allegorical, uh, areas of the, of the Gemara. So he, he writes over there, the dust would rise up and obscure the light of day. Rashi explains that it would actually darken the sun. And this would be apparent in Eretzeshel. Therefore, we must conclude that this was a miraculous event that transpired in honor of Rav Huna and in honor of the large community of, of, of Tamilim, of students that gathered to hear his lectures for, right, uh, 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 based on, on the laws of sort of nature, such a thing could not actually happen. That that dust would be seen in Eretz Yisrael, which was located, say, oh, several several days travel from from Bavel. Even if those gathered numbered four million, it wouldn't have happened. Instead, we have to conclude that this occurred as a result of a huge miracle that Hakadosh Baruch Hu did. The Maral over there ex- explains. He takes a very different kind of approach. In his own sort of inimical and, and, and holy way, he tries to explain the Gemara. He says, when Rav Huna's students in Bavel rose after his shear and shook the dust off of their clothes, the dust generated such clouds in the heavens that it obscured the light of the sun. And those clouds then traveled to Eretz Yisrael to provide rains Right? Of, of, of bracha. And he goes on to try to explain, <laughs> in an amazing way, how the people in Eretz were able to recognize that those rains fell in the merit of the Torah studied by the Talmidim in Bavel. He refers to the following Gemara, Gemara in Tainus, in Andaf Chafei, where it says, Baravchia, Bar Yulieni, heard the clouds in Eretz Yisrael saying, let us go and deliver our water to Ammon and Moab. So he would pray to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he would say, Master of the universe, when you gave your Torah to your people Yisrael, you visited all the nations of the world and they all refused to accept it. And now you're going to give them rain? Let them release their rain here in Eretzeshaw. And the clouds released their rain when, when, where, where they were in, in, uh, in Eretzeshaw. So it's clear from, from this interesting Gemara that the Chachamim could identify where a particular group of clouds came from. Thus, we can interpret the Gemara 
concerning the students of Rabbi Huna as are follows. When the people of Eretz Yisrael discerned that these particular rain clouds had originated in Bovel in the merit of the Torah studied by Rav Huna's students, they exclaimed, Oh, the students of Rav Huna's yeshiva in Bovel are standing up. Now, now we'll stand this. <laughs> we need a, a lot of explanation of this. After all, we have a well-established principle that Warren Baba Basra says, that says the heir of Eretz Yisrael makes one wiser. And we find a similar teaching in, in the Medrash related to the Pasuk. The Pasuk says that the gold of that land is good. This Pasuk teaches us that there is no Torah like the Torah in Eretz Yisrael. And there is no wisdom, Chochmah, like the wisdom of Eretz Yisrael. And if that is so, then why did those learning Torah in Eretz Yisrael require rainfall in the merit of those learning Torah in Bovel? Their own learning should have been more than sufficient. We're going to come back and try to answer that question in a moment. This is 101.95, Soul to Soul, the best road program in Africa, and we'll be back in a moment. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio. Erev Shabbos, Kodesh, Parshas, Baharab, Kaisai, Tav, Shin, Pei, We are discussing, trying to find a connection between the three concepts, or three premier concepts at the beginning of Parshas Bechukosai, the concept of Bechukosai, Telechu, if you study my Torah and I work in my Torah, and then uh, then there's uh, you'll have rain in the right time, and then there'll be peace on this, on this. How do they all work together? Why are these all the part of the same series of brachas? Let's try perhaps to find a a explanation that's going to sort of link them all together. So we've learned that the dust of Rav Huna's students, right, they shook off of their clothes, so that blocked the light of the of the sun. Now, according to the beautiful words of, of the morale, so this generated clouds that traveled and provided rainfall in Eretz Yisrael. Now, the Mishnah Tainus teaches us that rainfall is Gvurais Geshavim. It's called the powers of rain. Now, the Gemara inquires, right? The Gemara wants, wants to know what is meant by the powers of rain. So Rabbi Yechina said it's the insertion about rain is referred to in this manner because it falls with the power of HaKadosh Baruch right? And the, the, all the Mephoshim try to understand what does it mean of the phrase, the power of, 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 uh, of, of rain. So perhaps we can, we can uh, uh, explain this based on an explanation in the Midrash Sheikhatayv, related to the Pasuk in Tehillim Kuf, Tehillim Yudches, where it says, Chashkas Mayim the darkness of water, the clouds of of heaven. And the Medrash brings as follows. Rabbi Yechanan said, the process of rain is miraculous. If a person takes a sieve and drips two or three fingers worth, they, the drops of water, mix with each other, right? And, and sort of instantaneously. The rains travel a distance of 500 years from the heavens to the earth, and yet one drop does not continge with its neighbor. And Rabbi Yehuda B'Echeskel said, this is the blessing my father recited regarding rain. May the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu be blessed, be exalted and sanctified, even though there are a thousand thousands and a myriad of myriads, one drop does not touch its neighbor, even a hair's breadth, in the smallest, smallest degree. 
Now, let's introduce a pasuk from Yirmiyo, where Yirmiyo says as follows, he says, will you not fear me? The word of HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Will you not tremble before me? For I have set sand as the boundary against the sea, as a permanent law that cannot be broken. Its waters rage forth, but cannot succeed. They roar, but cannot cross it. And they explained in the Medrash, the Medrash Shoy explains on this, on this Gemara, that the sea, its wave rises and intensifies as if it will flood the whole world. Yet, when it reaches the seashore, it flattens out before the, the, the sands, the power of the, of the water. Now, this suggests that the seawaters, that in, uh, uh, really want to, to kind of inundate the entire world. However, it is afraid to trespass the boundary HaKadosh Baruch Hu set for it, marked by the sand. To explain why the sea wants to inundate the entire world, so therefore we have to refer to the words of Davar HaMelech in capital Yudalid, which says, and do not enter into strict judgment with your servant, for no living creature would be vindicated before you. The sea zealously wants to defend the honor of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It is angry that the earth and its inhabitants neglect to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu properly. Hence, it wants to wipe them out like the marble. Yet HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in his infinite mercy and kindness, prohibits the sea from trespassing the boundary marked by the sand. Now, perhaps we can say that the same thing applies to the rain contained in the clouds. Just as the sea down below is angry with the inhabitants of earth for their failure to fulfill the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the same is true of the rain in the clouds, which is formed by seawater that evaporates and rises to the heavens. As in fact, the Pasuk says in, in, in Bereshus, the aid Yalim and Oretz, the mist ascends from the earth, and waters the entire surface of, of the soil. Therefore, they are described as being Gevurais Geshamim, because all the drops of rainwater to join together, and they also want to inundate and wipe out the entire world. Yet, in his infinite mercy and kindness, HaKadosh Baruch Hu mitigates their force by prohibiting them from trespassing the boundary he has set, he has set for them. So this explains beautifully the kind of extreme punishment HaKadosh Baruch Hu imposed on the Dor Hamabal, on the generation of the flood. He opened up the windows of the heavens and flooded the entire world. Now, the Torah states explicitly that Hashem said to Nayach, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with, with robbery through them. Now, Rashi explains their sentence was not sealed except on account of robbery. And this concurs with what we're saying at the moment, that a robber does not respect boundaries. He invades the territory of others. Therefore, Mida Kineged Mida, the drops of rain also intermingled and fell into the spaces of the other drops to inundate the, the entire, the entire world. Now, Let's, let's sort of carry on, on, on this, on this row into the kind of the most amazing parts of the Torah. So let's now proceed to explore the connection between the words referring to those who devote themselves to Torah study, 
and Rashi, that's what Rashi says, and the reward promised them by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Number one, I'll provide you rain in their most beneficial and convenient time. So we're going to refer to a, a piece in, in the Gemara, the Gemara in Kedushin, on the Aflam where it's, it, where it explains a Pasuk in Tehillim, Kuf Chav Zayin, where the Pasuk says, They will not be shamed when they speak with uh, enemies in public places, literally at the gate. So what he says, who are the enemies at the gate? So he says, that's referred to, uh, says, he says, even a father and his son, a rov and his pupil, who are engaged in Torah study at the same gate, in other words, in the same place of study, they become each other's adversaries, and they do not vacate their positions until they make loving peace with one with one another. This implies that to clarify a halacha thoroughly, so Tamidechacham and the Torah scholars must debate each other fervently and tirelessly to the point that even a rob and his pupil appear to be real, uh, earnest enemies. Clearly, this is not the desired result. Therefore, after combating each other in the sort of battlefield of Torah to arrive at the true meaning of a halacha, then they enjoy a peaceful resolution. This is the nature of Torah, as in fact it's written, Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all their paths are, are shalom. Therefore, they do not vacate their positions until they achieve a peaceful, amicable resolution. So this explains beautifully why the Gemara in Sukkah compares the Torah both to fire and to water. As it's written, it's possible in Indian, right? Behold, my word is like fire, says HaKadosh Baruch. And then it also says in Yeshaya, Anyone who is thirsty, go, go to the water. In other words, the Torah acts like fire, to kind of in, incite the enthusiasm of, of Torah scholars to debate each other like mortal enemies until they clarify and arrive at the true meaning of a Torah precept. But it also acts like water to cool off and quench the fires of these heated debates. For the ultimate aim of the Torah is to establish Shalom amongst those who study it and, and, and live, and live by it. So therefore, we've actually managed to, to shed a little bit of light on this whole connection between the three things mentioned in, in the opening Pesukim of Pasha Bukhkosai. Number one. Which refers, we said, to those who devote themselves to the study of the Torah. Number two, I'll provide your reign in the correct time. The reward who promises them. And number three, I'll put peace in the land. For in the merit of initially debating issues of Torah with fiery Fervent enthusiasm, consistent with the Mida of Givura, but subsequently making sincere peace like calm waters, right? Consistent with the Mida of, of Chesed and, and Ava. So they deserve the reward of rains of Bracha. Why? Initially, however, the rains are really characterized as gevuras kishamim because they really want to inundate the entire world with their power and fury until HaKadosh Baruch Hu intervenes and establishes peace amongst all of all of the raindrops. 
As a result, each one remains in its own designated space and does not invade the space of its neighbor. In that merit, I'm going to put peace in the land and you'll be able to lie down with none to frighten you. The shalom will prevail in, in the whole world. So let's try to, to just enhance this thought a little bit. Because the Pasuk uh, I'll provide rain in the right time. Rashi asserts that this means that it will fall on Shabbos night. Now, we conclude the Baracha of Hashkivenu on Mayrav on Friday night differently than we do during the week. We use the words Hapoyres Sukas Shalom Aleinu, who spreads a, a shelter, like a sukkah, of peace over us. Now, this is in contrast to the other nights of the week, where we conclude, Shemer Amoy Yisrael La'ad, who protects his people Yisrael forever. Now, the Zayra Kodesh explains the rationale for the distinction, uh, uh, why we have two different endings. He says, he says, Come and see, when the day is sanctified on Shabbos night, so a shelter of Shalom rests and spreads out across the world. It is no longer necessary to pray for protection. For this reason, Shabbos night is the perfect time for the rainfall of Bracha. Why? When the drops fall in a manner which is consistent with Shalom, each one sort of respecting the other one's, the other one's space. So following this, this concept, a, a line of reasoning, let's, let's, let's go ahead and, and address the fact that rain fell in Eretz Yisrael as a result of the dust that, uh, that, that came from the multitudes of those attending Rav Hunis Shir. And when they shook off their, their garments, Right, that dust went up to Shemayim and created clouds. Now we learn that Abaya praised the virtues of the Chachamim of Eretz Yisrael, as it said, as opposed to the Chachamim in Bavel, Gemara in Kesuvis Daf Ayin Hey says Abaya says that one of theirs is better than two of ours. But then Rava comes along. And, and says, Rava says, no, but when one of us goes up there, he is better than two of them. So both Abaya and Rava were Torah scholars in Bavel. Right? And Shita Mekabetzis brings down a, a, a fascinating interpretation to this in the name of the, of the, uh, of the Ravash. And he says, it appears to me that the natural attributes of the land, assist them. You know, it was the Tamil Chacham and Eretz Yisrael, assist them because the air of Eretz Yisrael makes one wiser. However, they are not used to learning with as much sharpness as the Babylonians are. Therefore, the learning habits of the Babylonians assist them, whereas the nature of the land assists the residents of Eretz Yisrael. Now, the natural tendency of the land is superior to the other's good habits. But when a Babylonian scholar, with his effort, goes up to Eretz Yisrael, so now he has both a, a minus. Number one, he has all his good habits and the effort he's prepared to make and the beneficial nature of the land system. As a result, he is superior even to two Chacham in Eretz Yisrael. Now let's just elaborate on this explanation of the Rivosh based on the praise of Torah, of, of, uh, the Chachamim of Eretz Yisrael, which was actually said by our, our Achaz, Achazal. It says in, in Sanhedrin, on Daf Chof Dalit, it says, that what is the meaning of the Pasuk, Pasuk in Zechariah, 
and I took for myself two staffs. One I called gracious, and the other I called assault. So gracious represents the Torah scholars of Eretz who are gracious towards one another in matters of halacha. And assaulters represents the Torah scholars of Babel, who assault each other in matters, in matters of halacha. Furthermore, regarding the Talmud Bavli, the Gemara expounds on the following Pasuk. The Pasuk says that he has placed me in darkness like the eternally dead. And Rav Yirmiyah said, this alludes to the Talmudim of Bovel. And Rashi explains, what does it mean by Machashakim Hoishivani? That due to their rivalry, their analysis remains inconclusive and in doubt. They remain confused as if they are shrouded in darkness. Thus it seems as if Chazal was speaking ill of the, of the, of Tamechachamim in, in Bava. They are described as assaulting each other, right, in their Talmudic discussion, and their, and their, and their learning is compared to the, to the darkness. But it's, what, what's really, really interesting is, notwithstanding this, we find a fundamental principle in the writings of the Rishonim, right, that the, when we have a machlaikis between the, the Babli written in Bavel and the Yushami written in Eretz Yisrael, the halach is always like the, like the Bavli. And, and the concept is that the, the, the opinion of the sages of the, of Bavli does not apply solely to sort of minhagim, but even to practice halacha. And, and the concept is you need that omal of Torah. You need that absolute effort. Yes, and it means sometimes fighting. It means getting hot under the collar and defending your, your point. But then when you do that, the conclusion is you reach real peace. You get the rain where every single chacham, every single drop has its place. And that leads to eternal, eternal peace. This is 11.9 Chai FM. The program is Soul to Soul. We'll be back in a moment with our Hilchah Shabbos slot. Stay with us. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio, Erev Shabbos Kodesh Parshas, Bahar B'chukosai, Tav Shin Pei Gimel, another beautiful Erev Shabbos, leading to a scintillating, most exciting Shabbos Kodesh as we get to the week where we're going to say Chazak, we're going to finish Sefer Vayikra tomorrow. Quite incredibly how quickly Sefer Vayikra actually, actually goes. But let's at, at this point, as we always do, give the very important details we need to know in order to be able to manipulate and sort of navigate this, to this coming, this coming Shabbos. So this afternoon, the earliest time to light your Shabbos candles will be at 4.22, 22 minutes past four. That's barely an hour and a half from now, but it's definitely, definitely doable. Get the house ready, get oneself ready, and get ready to welcome in the beautiful, beautiful aura, the beautiful atmosphere, the beautiful quiet tranquility of Shabbos to Shut down all the week's things, all the things that bother you, all the things that are are our worries, all our things that are on our mind. Let's not worry about it on on Shabbos on Shabbos Kodesh. The latest time for benching licht this afternoon is at twelve minutes past five. Five twelve is the latest time, and that really needs to be regarded as our last chance to make to make Shabbos. We must really not rely on going past that point unless it's an absolute emergency. 5.12 is complete shutdown time, complete sort of acceptance of the concept of Shabbos into our homes, into our lives, into our minds. Sunset is at half past 5. 5.30 is sunset tomorrow Tomorrow night, as I said, that is the absolute limit for injury time or really, really sort of crucial uh, 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 emergencies that a person might have. That's the absolute latest time for doing anything 
that is not completely Shabbos permitted. If one wants, therefore, to daven Mayrev at night and be able to say Krishma without having to repeat it later and also perhaps to say the Oymer, so all one has to do is wait until 5.48, 12 minutes before 6, and that's already uh, night and you can get your Mayrev done and then come down and we have a long Friday night, enough time to have a great meal, spend some time with the family, do quite a bit of learning and still get to bed early enough to have, if not, you know, a donut, at least a croissant, a worth of a good, good Shabbos, Shabbos shlof. Tomorrow, of course, we have a double Pasha. They're not actually that long in content, but boy, is they packed. It's not that long in quantity, but it's packed with, with content. Lots and lots of Rashi, lots and lots of important concepts in the Pashas of Bahar. And Bechukosa, of course, Bechukosa contains the first version of the Tochacha of God's censure of the Jewish nation, various threats of things that could happen if the Jewish nation doesn't adhere to HaKadosh Baruch Hu's disciplines and what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to do. So it's Bahar, immediately followed by Bechukosa. They have Torah, is as usual for the second of the two parshas, so we read the haftarah of Bechukosa, which also is not a very long uh, haftarah, and the Shabbos then uh, carries, carries on, we'll say Avorachamim, uh, it's not Shabbos Avorachim, Shabbos Avorachim will be next Shabbos, and Rosh Chodesh is then uh, Sunday uh, a week, so it's, it's just a regular regular Shabbos, in the afternoon, Pirkeiavis, We'll be reading Perik Hay, the fifth Perik already. We're almost getting to the, to the end. There's so many beautiful things to learn if you have some time on Shabbos to open up a Perkyavis and, and have a bit of a look and, and imbibe some of the great wisdom, some of the great ideas, some of the great insights of our Tanoim there. Shabbos Kaidish ends tomorrow night at 6.02. Two minutes past six is the end of Shabbos and we Begin then the last week of Chodesh Sivan, as we said, of Chodesh Eor, sorry. Chodesh Sivan will be Sunday a week, and Shavuos, you know, we've already counted uh, 36 last night, so we're less than two weeks away from Shavuos. In fact, two weeks from today will already be the first day of of Shavuos will have already have survived the, the Tikkun now. So let's start getting ready, let's start preparing ourselves, not only on the physical department of making yummy food, but also getting ourselves actually ready for another opportunity to dedicate and devote ourselves to the learning of Hashem's, of Hashem's Torah. We are learning the laws of Bisha, the laws of, of cooking, and we're talking about the concept of Mechsek Kemavashel, that one mustn't do anything that looks like you might be cooking. So we already learned the laws of what you're allowed to leave on a on a stove on a, on a cooking device from erev Shabbos. So the the next thing that's sort of an extension of that regards placing a cooked food on Shabbos in a place where it could get get warm. Basically, we learned already before that the principle is that cooking of any kind of food is forbidden on Shabbos, but heating of food, we said, under certain conditions is permitted. That since already the food is completely cooked from before Shabbos, so there's no longer a prohibition because we have a general rule of ein bishel acha bishel. Once something is cooked, it cannot be cooked again. And therefore, you're allowed to, let's say, take out of the fridge on, on Shabbos some cold things which are completely, have been completely, completely cooked. Let's say, for example, you can take some cold uh, a schnitzel, you can take a, a kugel or, or some berekes and and uh, and heat them on, on Shabbos. Now, regarding liquid uh, things, so that becomes a little bit more complicated. There, the Paiskim argue, as we're going, as we already explained uh, above. But because the problem with with liquids is that once they cold, so then 
the the whatever the fact that they may have been hot before is completely negated by the fact that they've now returned to room or fridge temperature and heating them up again is then considered a new act of of uh, of of cooking so, however so when it comes to the concept of warming up a food that's already been cooked Achazal forbade us to do it in such a way that looks like we're cooking. Because if, if we do that, people will think, oh, you're doing something that looks so much like cooking, they might forget the fact that it's Shabbos, and they'll come to actually do something that is actually cooking. They might increase the heat of the of the fire and and they'll violate a Torah prohibition. Therefore, it's forbidden to heat up on Shabbos cooked food on an open fire because that is the normal way we, we cook. But when it's absolutely clear that this is not the way one normally cooks, then you're allowed to heat it up. Therefore, Let's say you'd be allowed to take a pot, and in that pot is a again a fully cooked food, and you can put it on top of another pot, or up on top of let's say uh, uh, something else that is standing on on a fire, where it's unusual to cook that way. You will be allowed to heat food in that way. However. Our, our place can argue regarding, let's say, a, an electric plata, right? Or, 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 or blech, which you put on, on the fire. Many, many place can say that it's forbidden to put on Shabbos on a plata, on electric plata, or on a blech, even a food that is completely cooked, because placing the food on actually the the source of heat itself is very very similar to cooking itself but if you put let's say on top of the plata or on top of the blech let's say you put a pot or or a a uh, which we say needs to be full of a cooked food Right, and those who are lenient say it doesn't have to be a, a full of a cooked food. It has to be a proper pot. You cannot just take a a baking a tray and and turn it over. That's not good enough. You're allowed, and then if you do that, you're allowed to put a cooked food on them because that is not the normal way of cooking to put. Uh, uh, to put uh, something, to put a, a, a kind of a interposition, a, a chatzitza between the the source of the heat and and the and the cooked food. That's an unusual thing to do, and therefore you're making a statement. I know it's Shabbos. I'm doing this just to uh, warm the food up. I have no intention, and don't anyone learn from me that you're allowed to cook. We'll be back with some closing comments in a moment. This one, one point nine high FM, the program is soul to soul, and this is the greatest Jewish radio station. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on one hundred one point nine high FM. One one point nine high FM. This is soul to soul. Back on your radio, Erev Shabbos Kodesh, Pashas Ba'avuchukasa Tafshin Pei Gimel. As we have our last few minutes together, we're talking about being able to put food on a covered fire on Shabbos, and we say you cannot put it directly on a plata or directly on a blech. It needs to be on another surface, which is raised above the level of the plata. Ideally, according certainly to many of the Paiskim, it should be a pot full of food, but if not, at least a, a a pot or something that has quite a height, that is not something that's sort of just above the level of the plot, certainly not a piece of, of aluminum foil or something like that, that for sure one cannot, one cannot use to, to heat, to heat the, uh, the, the, the food. There are, Authorities who are makel, that since we don't usually anyway cook on a plata or on a 
on, on a blech, right? Usually we, we cook on an open fire. So therefore, the placing on the blech itself or on the platter is a red, that, that doesn't look like you're cooking because you never cook like that. And therefore, they all want to say you could put something directly on a, uh, on, on, and that's completely cooked on the platter on, on Shabbos. There's some who are lenient with the, even with the, an electric, uh, uh, a platter where the whole purpose of that is to just heat. But they were certainly even there, Mahmir, on a blech, which is so hot that that certainly, uh, you could cook on, on it. That certainly you should not put it on it. Practically speaking, since most of the poiskin are machmir, it's a very, very good idea to be strict not to put any pot that has any cooked food on it straight on the platter or on the blech, right? Put it on top of something else that has substance that has height. Those who want to be maker are allowed to because the, the, since it is a, a din midrabonon and there are very, some very, very important poiskim who were lenient and, and, uh, they do have, uh, you know, logical reasoning behind themselves. So if someone wants to, if someone has a particular minic in their, in their family, so you should carry on with that, with that minic. Now, um, where it's absolutely sort of clear that we don't usually cook on, on, on this type of heat, let's say, for example, uh, put something on a, on a radiator, even though it's quite hot, but since it's a place where no one ever cooks, you'd be allowed to put food on it, which is obviously fully cooked, because placing something on it does not look at all like like uh, like cooking, and so too it's it's be forbidden to to uh, sorry it be permitted to take a a fully cooked uh, uh, food on a on a heater or something like that, uh, either electric or or gas, which is generally used for heating the house on the condition. That again, it's not directly on the heat source. There has to be something that acts as an interposition between the actual fire and, and the, and, and the food. And also that we don't usually, during the week, put food in that, or, or, or drinks in that, in that place. If it's something we do normally during the week to put food over there to, to warm, so then, then it has the same law as any other a fire, where according to most of the poise scheme, you'd need to put something of substance on top of it and put the, the pot there on top, on top of, uh, of, uh, of, of that, right? And according to Ling opinion, it would be enough to just place a, a, a blech on top of that, and on top of that you could put the, the food. Well, that's about all the time we're going to have this this week. Uh, just enough moments to wish you all an amazing, amazing Shabbos, Shabbos of beauty, of Shabbos of inspiration, and a Shabbos of togetherness. To each and every one of you, a Shabbat Shalom.